1: Oh, welcome back to Spiro Avenue. I'm thrilled to be here always, 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 always thrilled to be here with our fantastic audience, but I'm particularly happy tonight because there have been two courtships in my life. My (laughs) wife, my wife who turned me down before she was my wife, before she was my girlfriend, who turned me down over the course of seven or eight years, numerous times. And although the gentleman across from me didn't turn me down for eight years. He probably turned me down as many times in three years as my wife did in eight. But my wife got down the aisle and married me. And now the second longest courtship of my <laughs> life is complete. I have been pursuing this gentleman. I was outside of his house with a boombox, like John Cusack can say anything, it just playing every song that might tickle his heart to get him to come in the studio. He has repeatedly broken my heart because I have so much respect for him. He's a talented guy, one of the best reporters in the state of Michigan, one of the few that I've really never criticized because I love him so much, and everyone knows what a jerk I am. <laughs> but he's here. He's Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, the Detroit Lions beat writer. I'm thrilled to have you. I'm trying to contain my excitement, but I can't believe you're here. Three I,
0: years. It hasn't been that long, has I, it? Do, do you
1: Okay, can you pull up my direct messages live and just put them <laughs> up? I don't think we did anything inappropriate in those. Uh, Three years,
0: sir. You've three broken years, my sorry. heart
1: for three years. There was always a soccer game or a basketball game
0: or a, a, an itch you hey, had to you scratch. You will be there very soon. Life of I'm there life now. of a young kid, life of a dad, right with young I, kids. I'm a nursing home administrator
1: in the age of COVID with three kids five and under. That's getting my master's program and does this a couple times a week. Nobody's busier than me, and I would have cleared my schedule for you. I can't say the same because you know what? You don't like me as much as I like you. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. You're here, so let's get to it. Detroit Lions, this is a great time to have you. Never a bad time, but it's a particularly great time Drafts to have you. Drafts coming up, right? we got lots to talk Drafts about. Drafts coming up. It's a complete regime overhaul. Look, anybody that watches this show, and like I said before the show, you're a religious watcher. You've never missed a minute of my show, never. and I, I know that. So, But just for those that don't watch every minute of every show like Dave Burkett does, I'm not a fan of what they've done with the coaching hire. We're not going to talk about Brad Holmes today. We've done that even more than we've done Dan Campbell. For the record, I like the Brad Holmes hire. have some questions, some skepticism about a guy sixth on the org chart for the Rams, but I liked it. I actually probably would have hired him too. Cast that aside. The Dan Campbell era. I'm a big believer in the coach being the most important in the NFL, more so than any other sport. There's so much in control of so much what goes on. It's sort of the opposite spectrum of a baseball manager which has the least importance. So Dan Campbell is brought here, and it is a complete 180, I think is safe to say, and you'll speak to that Absolutely. in a minute, but yep. tell me, what is he trying to do, and is it working? What, what do you see them trying to do differently?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, look, first, I, I think it's hard for me to separate Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes just because new regime, everything is is new here. so um, but I, I do think you're right about it being a complete 180, and that's a big part of it. Right. I mean, you look at the history of what's going on, not just in the NFL, but a lot of sports. And that is, you know, when something fails and it fails as miserably as Alliance did the last few years, the natural instinct is to go out and do the opposite, right? We want somebody that's more personable than, than that Patricia was and that players respect. i like, you know, what, what happened with the last regime. And so I think that's a big part of what Dan brought to the table. Um, you know, we saw, we've seen really in, in his first couple of months on the job, you know, some honesty. I think some, some, I think it's refreshing the, the ability to let maybe players himself, everyone be themselves. And I think that's a big part of, of success. You know, if you're comfortable in your skin, if you're not always looking over your shoulder, then you can be, you know, your best you. And, and I do think that's part of what the Lions are, are going for. I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, I, I understand some of the, the questions about both Dan and Brad Holmes. I mean, Dan's, Never done it before, right? I mean, they, they talked about wanting experience, and he doesn't have a whole lot of it. You know, never been a coordinator. Um, but, I, I, you know, I, I like the early returns. I think they have some good people in place, uh, both in the front office and on the coaching staff. And now it's about getting the right players.
1: I'm curious. You said you like the early returns. What returns are you liking? Because well, the Stafford trade, he wanted out anyone could put a wanted sign and just sure. pick the best offer. So what What beyond that?
0: No, I, I guess, and I didn't even mean from a player perspective, because really, you know, what, what Dan had said back in January was, you know, our window of opportunity is, you know, a year, two years, three years down the road. And so it's not now. And and I, I wouldn't, I don't think you can judge the Lions on what goes on this, this fall or, or what they've done this spring. I guess I just mean the early returns of the direction of the franchise, okay, really, enough. because I think, in order for them to succeed, I think they needed to get rid of Stafford, to trade him, to start a new, at every position, coach, GM, quarterback. And they've done that. And so I think at least the arrow's pointing in the right direction. And now it's just, it's up to this this regime to keep navigating that direction.
1: I All fair. And I'll say this. I had a personal distaste for a lot of the coaches that have come through here. I thought Jim Schwartz was a nincompoop. I thought Matt Patricia was aloof and in over his head you know, go down the line. For the most part, I haven't liked them as guys. Dan Campbell is the most likable coach Absolutely. to maybe ever come through the city <laughs> in any sport, not just for the Detroit Lions. So, like, I'm I'm separating that. So even if they yeah. go 0-and-now oh, 17, two years in a row, and they start 0-and-5 and he's fired in year three, I'm still going to be like, yeah, Dan Campbell's all right. You know, so <laughs> I'm never like, the guy, he's great. He's entertaining. He's fascinating. I'm just, I'm a, I'm very skeptical that this is going to work. Because as much as we all eat up the press conference and we love the, the quotes and biting kneecaps, I, I just have serious uh, doubts that this is going to work. And it reminds me of the worst hire, arguably, arguably in Detroit Lions history is Rod Marinelli. And so I, I was thinking about this and, and Ben created this beautiful graphic with all my brilliant ideas. Let's see it. You're going to call me a jerk, probably. Most people <laughs> think I'm that. But, you know, we're, we're asking, does this sound familiar, Lions fans? So let's break it down. Not everyone has the, the benefit of the picture in front of them. So Rod Marinelli, defensive line coach. Dan Campbell, tight ends coach. Assistant head coach in Tampa Bay for Rod Marinelli. And Dan Campbell was the assistant head coach in New Orleans. No head coaching experience for either. We've talked about the interim thing. You're a babysitter for eight games or whatever. It doesn't count. I don't count It, it doesn't count. Known primarily as a motivator, not an X's and O's guy, not a schematic genius, not a savant, not a guy that's known for drawing up the perfect blitz or drawing up the the perfect press coverage, any of that, both known as motivators. They both had a rollicking, tough guy press conference. Rod Marinelli said, uh, good evening, gentlemen, or whatever he said, you know, addressed them like they were the military. And he's talking about that he will be the one and only voice for law and order in the Detroit Lions facility. He gave a tough press conference. I was a freshman in college. It was the most excited I've ever been. It was so... People forget. People were going crazy excited about Rod Marinelli. And we already talked about Dan Campbell. Also had a rocking, tough guy, no-nonsense press conference. And of course, no other job offers. Neither one had any job offers to be a head coach. Detroit was the only one that called both of these guys. Rod Marinelli had a very uh, little flirtation with the Raiders. Was not offered. Moved on. So... There's a lot of similarities here, and I could even add a bonus round one that both of these guys had their players praising them at their previous stop when they got the job. Tampa Bay's guys went to bat for Rod Marinelli and said he'd be a huge success. Everyone in New Orleans and Miami before that is saying the same thing about Dan Campbell. We saw the result with Rod Marinelli, 10 and 38 in over his head. It was a joke. So all this excitement, he's tough. He says the right things. There's a lot of boxes checked that were the same boxes as Rod Marinelli, and it goes right down the line. Am I being a cynical jackass, or are these valid concerns? Because <laughs> to me, it's very uh, similar situations to one that we already went down, and it was a
0: complete disaster. Um, first of all, the graphics are impressive. If I had known that, I would have come on three years ago. Oh, so, Well, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have been three years ago, yeah. so you were right to hold out until now. Okay, all right. Um, now, look, I, I mean – I understand, you know, some of those, the the points that you made, but I do think that in the NFL and most professional sports um, in the NFL in particular, I guess the head coach, you really do have to be a motivator. You do have to have uh, the respect of people in that locker room. Like you can leave a lot of the schematic stuff up to your coordinators. That's what they are there for. And so um, I don't think that's a negative that, that Dan is, um you know that that's one of the things that he's known for and i think you go back you know over the 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 course of history and just about every coach um the players that they come from you know their previous stop will say good things about him i mean i remember doing the stories on Matt Patricia in the three weeks you know between the uh the end of the the 2017 season i guess and and when he was you know hired uh before it was official um you know before that super bowl and i probably wrote you know two dozen stories with players saying that exact same stuff so so i think those some of what you put up is it, it just goes across the board. Um, again, I, I think it's, it's reasonable to have concerns because he hasn't been a head coach. And, you know, maybe because it's an arranged marriage, too. You know, I mean, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, they never worked together. This was the Lions saying, hey, you two go ahead and you guys are going to be our guys and, and we'll figure it out as we go. But again, I like I like what Dan stands for. Uh, that doesn't mean he's a, a guarantee of success, but it's sort of like Jim Caldwell where you can, you know, w- when you have the buy-in from the players, you can take a team and organization to a certain point, and then you just need the right players in order to get over the hump. And I don't think the lions had that before. Um, and and so we'll see if they can, if they can give Dan Campbell that, and then it does take some coaching and, and it does take some, some really good assistance to help you get over the hump too. And so we'll see, I think they're in a, the, the state of both the coaching staff and the team is such that um, they can grow in this together. And maybe that's a good thing. And maybe that's a bad thing because they don't have that experience.
1: Well, you built in some skepticism along the way in sort of downplaying mine. Okay.
0: <laughs> so you made a point. I where, have skepticism too, but I, well, I like, I like the direction that they're going, but I, well, I understand. Uh, okay. The but you're,
1: you you, qualified one of my points with, well, you know, the assistant coaches are more responsible for the schematics. Yeah. Okay. Who are their assistants? Rod Marinelli, at least on the offensive side, had Mike Marks, the architect of the greatest offense in NFL history prior to the rules changing where you can now you know, not touch receivers in that. But Mike Martz, who wasn't perfect, had some flubs on his resume too, but Mike Martz was the offensive coordinator. That's who Rod Marinelli brought in to run his offense. Now his defensive coordinator, I can't remember the guy's name. Was He was with the Jets Joe prior. Barrier. No, it was before Joe Barry. Uh, Joe Barry replaced this guy from New York, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, his, his name, name is. Sure. But yeah, and then went to Joe Barry, who was also terrible and related to the coach. That's a Rob Parker thing. But the, the point is, look who we have now. Rookie defensive coordinator and Anthony Lynn, who has only been an offensive coordinator one time for one year and had a run-heavy offense with the Bills that was like 13th in the league. I mean, they weren't bad, but it didn't inspire a high confidence. So if you're saying – no big deal. Dan Campbell isn't even in charge of the schematics. Okay, step
0: down. Hmm, Anthony who is, Wynn, who I get was, that. And I Glenn, who's the defensive coordinator? I like, it just why well don't, No, no, you're you're right. And again, I, I don't I don't think you're you're wrong in any of your points, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they can't be right in the end. You know, I mean, I, I just think like Aaron Glenn in particular, you know, he has a, a really good reputation across the league. And so I think. You know, I'm willing to give him a chance and see what he can grow into. And I, I, I do. I mean, I, I think he's the type of guy that, you know, again, we say this about all the coaches, right? But he's got the Parcells ties and he's got the respect of the players. And I like the the experience of having played in the NFL and and, and been a, a key player in in secondaries for multiple teams. So I sort of like the background, even though he doesn't have the experience calling plays. Anthony Lynn. I mean, just to be frank, I, I've said it before. You know that I I would have preferred a more um, I don't know what the right word is. A, uh, you know, the, the new NFL, right. A, a passing, uh, you know, the, one of the beautiful mind, young offensive coordinators, but that's not how they want to build this thing. You know, they, they want to be a little bit more run oriented, I think. And so that to me, that is one of the concerns that I, I do have about, um, you know, this offense going forward, but. Given the personnel on the roster, I think that fits right now.
1: Something we've beaten to death on this show, and you know, we're not the only ones to make the point. I've seen it in print in your columns and other people's work as well, is that this team has not finished in the top half of the NFL in rushing since Barry retired, right? Right. And I mean, you think that not oh they haven't finished top five or top ten. They haven't finished like 15th. Yeah. They haven't been a middle of the pack, just like a C plus B minus rushing attack not once That's in amazing. over two decades. It's it's one of the like least reported, most befuddling statistics. And, but Patricia talked a lot about, we want to run the ball, we want to change that. Now it's like kind of we're hearing this again. I think it's interesting that the Lions are trying to zig when the whole league is zagging in the same way that the Dan Campbell hire represents as well. Like, Nobody else even interviewed this guy. It's not like he was the candidate in three or four spots and it was like the Ken Wisenhunt thing where it's like, okay, you runner up here, runner up there. We've seen... Um what's his name? Uh often uh the the enemy. Wisenhunt
0: work, right? I mean I'm, I'm just
1: saying I I
0: look, look I'll, I'll tell you this about because I I, I mean the again, Lions would have hired him, by the way. <laughs> they would have, absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. were waiting. That plane was I was sitting outside the Fords like uh, you know, you know uh, more than, than me. That was Air gonna Ford, happen. That would have been another Waiting mistake. for that plane to take off. I was waiting for them to go fly to get him. But um again, I think regardless of of that, because I I don't dispute anything that you said. Um, And I I do think Dan, not this year, he did, it's not, he did not interview with anywhere else this year, but over the course of the last couple of years, there have been teams interested in nothing, you know, close to this point. But when you talk to people across the league, I think a lot of people will tell you like, you know, this guy is, I, I use this comparison during the search where people were talking about him, like Mike Vrabel where Mike Vrabel wasn't head coach before, but yet they saw that in him. They saw the leadership in him. They saw some of those traits where they said, you know, this guy is going to be a good head coach one day. And maybe it's not tomorrow, but he has the ability to lead a locker room to get the most out of players. And I, I do think that the talent is such in the NFL that teams are, are similar enough that if you have a guy that people want to play for, And then if you maybe do have a schematic advantage and we'll see about some of that with the coordinators again, because I I don't I don't disagree with you there that there are some questions or some things that they have to grow into that. Maybe that's how you you know that that's the difference between a 10 and 6 team and a 6 and 10 team, I guess.
1: Yeah, I I just don't see Dan Campbell, even if like, okay, he's the ultimate motivator, just, you know, they, they played for Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell, not a great schematics guy, although I would argue better than anybody they have now. But like the guys just played for them. If you have a solid roster and they play for you in the NFL, you're gonna be better than half the league. So I could even see Dan Campbell, not obviously this year, but year three or four being nine and seven, making the playoffs. And you know, a lot of Lions fans, that's that's fantastic. I have a higher bar, but I could even see that happening. I could see them not going two and fourteen, not being Rod Marinelli bad. But the problem is Dan Campbell is gonna be scheming against. You know, I mean, Andy Reid is probably going to be in the other conference for the foreseeable future, but even Sean McVay and he's going to outscheme him for a wild card game or a, God forbid, a divisional round game. I just don't see it. It's like at best, the best happy birthday Justin scenario I can come up with is he's a you know, the cliche bridge to the future. He goes eight And, eight, nine, seven, and then he's like the, the, you know, the white Jim Caldwell. And then it's like, OK, now we're trying to get that sort of back end of that right this time, which we didn't with Patricia. I don't know. I just, I think it's a bad bet. I don't see it happening, but I look, if Dan Campbell works out and wins big, you can create a Citizen Kane long tape of me being wrong and I will watch it and laugh and be happy. Like (laughs) going for the record, I'm still a Lions fan. I just, I just don't see it. I want to transition to this Jared Goff with Matthew Stafford. We have the receipts here at Spiro Avenue. Before anyone <laughs> talked about him being, you know, definitely traded, it was like, you know, will he be traded? What are they gonna do? The consensus, at least my followers, the people I read was probably coming back. The lines would never trade him. I said, reading the tea leaves, if you look at what both sides are saying, and I think you agreed with me at the time, he's gone. Like he's gonna ask to go. And then the next day, the day after I tweeted that out, it came out that he had requested a trade. I try to read the tea leaves and with Goff everyone's saying, oh, no big deal if you don't like golf. He's just a stopgap. I watched his introductory press conference. I'm sure you were there or, you know, there on Zoom, whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, and I saw the, the video they posted on Twitter of him high-fiving everyone, in, you know, in the offices. My sense was this is not a guy that is just here to hold, uh, hold the fort down for a little bit. So we'll play that clip just and have you react to that. There's three things that I think about with Jared Goff. He's tough, he's durable, and most importantly, he's a winner. He has won in this league. I love his
0: quiet confidence. I know he's hungry. Man, we were thrilled to have this guy. So without further ado, Jared Goff. I'm excited to work with A-Lynn, man, it's me as, well, as well as Brunel and the rest of the offensive staff. How's it going? That looks like,
1: yeah, they're going. We got you, baby. What's Good, great? man. Good, man. How's it going? We got you, baby. What do you think? You know, it's like, okay. That is not an introduction. That's not a greeting from the coaching staff. That's not an introduction by the head coach of somebody that seems like he's just here to hold it down for a minute while they draft Trey Lance and get him ready to play.
0: I mean, what's your read on this? Uh, My read is that, I don't know if this is good or bad, that I'm agreeing with you on that a little bit. I mean, look, I, I went into this, I mean, you know, you go back to the fall, right. And I was sort of on that. You got to move on from Stafford bandwagon. You got to trade him. You got to do this. And, and, I thought it was going to happen early in the off season, and then when Brad Holmes had his press conference, I was kind of like, "Whoa, wait a minute, maybe maybe he is going to keep him." I just first move he makes, it's not going to happen. Stafford forced their hand. It it, it happens. They they bring golf in. My initial thought was like, you know, he's a bridge quarterback, and a big part of me still believes that. But when I watched that the other day, the exact same stuff, I was thinking to myself like, "Wow, like they're they're going to roll with him this year. They're not going to take a quarterback at number seven now." You know, I, I, I must throw this out that um, look this is a good year for quarterbacks in the draft. And I think there's a very real chance that one or two of those guys will be there at seven. I was talking to somebody today who who just he didn't think the Falcons were going to take a quarterback. And he thought maybe the Lions would have Lance or Fields or both available at seven. Um, so I, I think that factors into things. I think the other thing that you have to consider, and this isn't I don't know that Brad Holmes is thinking like this, but. Look, you don't think the Lions are going to be very good this year, right? I don't. I mean, I don't think they're going to be one in sixteen either. I think Jared Goff is the type of quarterback that's going to, you know, help them keep their head above water. But if they're six and eleven, is anyone going to look at that and say, you know, that's the quarterback that I want to build around that we just won six games with? I, you know, I, I just don't think so. So I, I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, you're still going to come out of this season saying, well, we need to solve the quarterback position and. So that's sort of where I'm, I'm, I'm hung up on a little bit of will they take, you know, the receiver, whoever it is, or do they just take the chance to be like, hey, we got a chance to get a pretty good quarterback now. And we know he's not going to play this year, uh, but let's get him on our roster and see what we can do.
1: I try to like, stray away from technical conversations on this show because it's, it's above most people's heads. But like there, I had to hit one point of sort of the technical aspects of his game because I'm confused. I don't know the answer, and maybe you do. I keep reading, oh, Jared Goff, you have to go heavy, heavy play action. That's what he did with the Rams. <clears throat> and, but I read the quotes from Goff, and he yeah. was like, honestly, I didn't really like the play action. I was, a, yeah. a, I was like a you know, shotgun in college. That's not my strength. So I've, I keep reading like, oh, the Lions have to go play action 30 times again. they got to build this play action offense. I don't think so. That's not what he says he likes. It's not what he did his whole life before McVeigh. Could, could we not see a version of golf we've never even seen before? I think um,
0: you're absolutely right about that. When you know people think that he would thrive in the play action because that's what he did in, in L.A., but I, the story I wrote about him for you know when they, the trade became official and talking to his old college coaches and his quarterbacks coaches, private quarterbacks coach, um, those were the people that said, no, no, what he thri- it thrives at, what he's best at, is sitting back and diagnosing a defense. And so, um, again, I I look at the Lions roster and the composition of the coaching staff and I say they want to run the ball a lot and play action probably fits into that mindset somewhere. You know, that's Anthony Lynn did some of that obviously in Buffalo when he was calling plays, totally different makeup of the roster. But um, I, I do think, you know, maybe if Jared Goff is given the opportunity to sit back and process a defense that maybe he can he can have a little bit more success than he had last year in LA.
1: And if you watch him in college, you know, which I did at the time, I haven't like gone back and pulled up the tape, but I remember watching him in college and you mention it, talk to anybody that knew him as coaches, there, his private quarterback coach, everybody that knows him says he's actually way better away from that play action stuff. So I think it presents an interesting, intriguing thing to watch. You don't have to have this answered yet. He's your guy this year, no matter what, yep. but I'm curious to watch like, can he thrive in a different, maybe they were misusing him, which everyone, you know, he says, oh, he was you know only so-so with McVay. He's going to be terrible with anybody else. I, that was my first thought, too. But when you pause and look, yeah, he doesn't like the way he was being used. And everyone that knows him well says they misused him. So I'm curious to see it.
0: Well, and the other thing I would say on that, too, is that in L.A., he was running Sean McVay's offense. I mean, that was it, right? Sean McVeigh yeah. was calling the plays. He was designing everything here the Lions have made him a part of building the offensive playbook. And so in theory, that should help him to have some success. Now, he doesn't have any receivers to throw to, and they don't have much of a defense. So, you know, he's still, he's still, you know, the the chips are still stacked against him there. And that's why I still say that no matter what he does, the end of the season, if you're looking at a five or six win Lions team, you're still going to be saying, man, they, you know, still rebuilding they still need to get that quarterback like how long is that lease for depends what he
1: looks like though i mean because there were a lot of years that stafford won somewhere in that neighborhood of games you know five six seven games and you know you always had some people that wanted him out but very few intelligent people thought he was the problem if golf looks good I think people are actually on board with this rebuild and know that he has no help. I mean, everyone knows he has no
0: help. (laughs) Yeah. Dan said, Dan Campbell said, you know, last week or whenever it was that, you know, we don't want a free pass this year and, and, but they really have one. I mean, no one, there's no expectations for this year. And I think the same goes for, for Jared Goff, right? I mean, you want to see some progress, but let's be honest. I don't think most lions fans like watched every game he played in LA, right? They just know that. He went to the Super Bowl a couple years ago and ah, he was kicked to the curb in L.A. because he and McVeigh didn't mesh and, you know, he wasn't playing as well as he did a couple years ago. All, all accurate. But there's still a lot of why to, you know, both of those. I just those think things. I think you could do so much worse than him.
1: Like, I absolutely do I, do I think he's great. No, but there's so many crappy quarterbacks in this league. Like, I, I actually <laughs> think that, you know, he was maybe a little bit overrated when he had his back to back, you know, big years going to the Pro Bowl, like maybe a little bit too hype. But now it's like gone the other way where, yeah, he did slide, but it, guy's not trash. Like he's, he may be like the 13th to 16th best quarterback in
0: the league. I mean, that's, that's why people saying, Hey, the lions are going to be two and 15 next year. I think they're way off base because I, I, I just don't, Jared Goff's not going to allow that to happen. Right. He's, he's a better, I mean, you look at. Houston's got a good quarterback, but the rest of their roster is a mess. The Jets will be playing a rookie. I mean, the Bears have no quarterback, right? There's some there's some bad quarterback situations that are still out there. Washington, even though they had a pretty good defense, like who knows how that's going to shake out. They probably want to come up and get one of those, those young guys. But I'm with you. I, th- I think Jared Goff is better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. They're being too hard on him. And I just like him. Like, I just, you know, I just like the guy. See, th- this is where... I, I was sort of agreeing with you on Dan Campbell to disagree, and now I'm sort of agreeing with you on Jared Goff to to disagree because I I don't think, I mean, I again, I like that part of the trade, and I think he's good for the Lions to have, but I still, I don't know, there's still something about getting that young quarterback that, that I think the Lions need to do.
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll get to the draft, you know, in a second. I just, I think he genuinely wants to be here. That's the sense that I get from him. I think he's like actually on board. He's thrilled to be here, which is not always the case guys coming from the West
0: coast of Detroit, but I mean, do you get the sense like he's, he's happy to be here? Fresh start for him. So, you know, I, I think he, you know, knew he didn't return my call. So I don't know directly from him, but you know, from the people around him, it, it seemed like he sort of knew, you know, that relationship had, had run its course in LA and and that, you know, a, a fresh start was going to be the best for him. And again, I, I think, People genuinely like Dan Campbell because he'll allow them to be themselves. He'll, you know, he is, like you said, he's, he's a, he's a guy that you look at and you hear and you're like, man, I could go have a beer with that guy. Right. Like he's, uh, and and so I think that's part of it too, where it energizes you to at least be like, all right, I'm part of something new starting from the ground up. I got a coach I like, I got, you know, an offense that I'm part of. So. I do think there's something to that.
1: Uh, And if Jared Goff's girlfriend doesn't annoy everybody on Instagram, that'll be an extra bonus point for him. But uh, we don't have to talk about Kelly Stafford because that's LA's problem. Now, I want to talk about the NFL draft. We're less than three weeks away. We're knock, knock, knocking on the door. And the Detroit Lions are one of those sort of like sexy topics that a lot of people are talking about because of the nature of this draft. You mentioned it. Very rich in the quarterback uh, area. And it's, it's like it's there's going to be at least one more trade up i mean
0: i would think i think you agree there's going to be some movement yeah you know i don't know i mean i think um it, uh, there will be come draft day someone will move up i just don't know if they're going to move up in front of the lions just given you know the well i, guess I guess mean i be in front of the lions might be though might be in the lions <laughs>
1: spot I, in their spot there will be a trade in that top 8 that hasn't been consummated yet in my opinion just my guess i don't know it could be denver at nine could
0: use one so i could see carolina at eight being a, a spot where where there's some movement but yeah you're right there's this is a good year for quarterbacks and if you want one who knows what the group is next year so
1: well and there's so many years in this and in, you know the nfl and the league where like justin fields would be either like the number one guy or like the clear number two or People have him like fifth. I mean, it's a it's a pretty good like if Justin Fields is like prodigy, number one overall recruit, and I yeah. just lit it up at Ohio State. If that guy's like your fifth, I mean, I get the Ohio State track record, but like this guy's in Craig Krenzel. But everyone's talking now about Kyle Pitts, and look, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, I got this right from day one. I admit when I'm wrong. When I heard that, and like I've seen him play a couple times, I know how good he is. I. I I had a little bit of uh, a vomit coming up, <laughs> just because you see the tight end thing. We've been there. I crucified the Eric Ebron pick. I hated it. I didn't like the Hawkinson pick. I said I think he'll be good. Right. He has been good. I think he's going to continue to get better. It wasn't even it's about the, the value player. at eight for sure. The value I mean, at definitely. that at that spot. Here we go again. Another tight end coming down. And I just, I wanted to throw up. I, I was very disgusted because I, I, I was already resigned. It's going to happen. They're going to do it. Yeah, Gabble's a tight end, whatever. And I think I was wrong. I'm now, after thinking about it, sort of on board with it. And I don't even know. <laughs> look, and we'll get to you in a sec, Dave, but I don't even think he's going to be there at seven after reading yeah. some of what I've read and hearing yeah. what I, I was. This was like sort of the final thing. I was listening to Bill Simmons' uh, show last night. And this was the final tipping point where I was like, okay, take Kyle Pitts at seven if you can, if, unless someone's offering a lot of you know, picks to come up. So let's play Bill Simmons and Danny Kelly advocating for Kyle Pitts to go fourth overall for the Falcons.
0: The Pitts yeah. thing to me, Pitts seems like the all-time no-brainer pick where you just look at, look at the big picture of the NFL and you go, all right, Kelsey and Gronk were game-changing people at their position for the last yeah. 12 years. And all those dudes did were play in playoff games as one of the key players in their team. Everyone else was jealous of them. And then you go in a, in a fantasy situation, you're in an auction, you pay $28 for Kelsey or 22 or 31, whatever it is. And he's the highest paid tight end. And it seems high. And you're like, wow, I can't play. But then it's like, everybody <laughs> wants him the whole season. You could trade him. You don't him. regret it. You, you never, regret never regret it. it.
1: Okay. Fantasy implications aside, I am now on board with Kyle Pitts at seven. I think it's defensible for some of the reasons they outlined. Am I crazy? Is that not a terrible pick? Like some say,
0: no. Um, you know, I, I, am sure, you know, I gave Kyle Pitts to the lions in my last real mock draft, right? This, this one the other week or this week that I did was, was more about trade down scenarios. Um, look, Kyle Pitts, if you talk to scouts, like they, they love him. Like they just think he's a really special player. Like, best tight end, you know, to come out and, you know, some of these scouts memories, like, you know, a guy that can be a receiver because he's fast enough, you know? And, and, and so I think the dimensions that he adds to the offense, I'm with you. I don't think he makes it to seven right now, four. I don't know, five, I think he's in play for, for both of those spots. Um, Six, obviously two, but you know, the dolphins might have eyes for, for Jamar chase, but yeah, I I think if Kyle Pitts is look to me with the draft, right. You got to take, one of the best players, right? Your tier of whatever it is, five best players. And Kyle Pitts is in that. Regardless of position, Kyle Pitts is one of those guys like, uh, forgive me, somebody had, had sort of made this, uh, you know, comparison last week, and I, I forget who, but somebody said it's sort of like Quentin Nelson, right? Where he's a guard and you look at the position and you're like, oh man, you can't take a guard that high. But, that's what he is. Quentin Nelson was one of the handful of elite players in that draft. That's what Kyle Pitts is, one of the, the very top-line blue-chip players. And so he's the last of the blue-chip players. You take him because you're getting one of the very elite talents in the draft.
1: I, I like to look at things more in terms of impact than anything else. Like How much is this guy going to impact the game? So even a really good tight end has a moderate impact on the game, I would argue. It takes the elite of the elite tight ends to really be a difference maker. And we saw that with Gronkowski in his prime. He's backslid now, but in his prime, Travis Kelsey, obviously, I mean, 10 catches, 100 yards like every single game. So it's like, yeah, okay, a really good tight end still has a mild to moderate impact on the outcome of a game. An elite all-timer tight end in today's NFL has a major impact, and that's sort of where I shifted. I've heard enough from smart people making good points that I think it's defensible, but you said it, I said it. I don't even think they're going to have this problem because I don't think he's going to be there. So as much as we thought it was crazy at seven, I think (laughs) someone's going to be ahead, but who knows? I'm curious, like, if he is there, what they'll do. If he's there at seven, and obviously I don't know what else the board looks like at that point, The only way probably I can see myself not wanting them to take him is if somebody is calling to try to get a quarterback and says, Look, we'll give you, I'm making this number up at the 12th pick or the 14th pick or whatever, and a first round next year and a third round next year, whatever. Then it's like, okay, like, yeah, I'll slide down six spots to grab an extra first and a third. Totally uh, made up offer I just pulled out of my ass. But like, short of a a no brainer offer like that, that's kind of who I want them to take now. And I mean, where do you think they go? Let's throw the trades out. Let's do like the Todd McShay thing. I don't like mock draft trades. Like, do you see, that was your most recent draft uh, mock draft was Kyle
0: Pitts. Like, do you see them picking him? So, you know, as I look at the draft, right, I think you're really looking at one of two scenarios. And that is, you really love a quarterback like Justin Fields or Trey Lance. And you just think that, you know, with whatever seasoning you can provide him, he's going to be a guy in the NFL. Like, you need to get him, right? Trey Lance, five years from now, Stud, one of the best, you know, quarterbacks in the game. So if he's there at seven, we're taking him, right? If, if you don't feel that way about one of those quarterbacks, then I think you're looking at Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts. Those are the three guys that are above everyone else in this draft, at least from the scouts that I've talked to. And so if you have a chance to get one of those three, then you take them. I just think, you know, we go back to the, the, the Stafford trade, right? Like I like what they did in getting the extra draft capital, but I, I, at some point you got to use that draft capital, right? And at some point you, you need to get blue chip players. And so I thought getting the eight pick from Carolina would have been a really good deal and would have been the one I would have, I would have been in favor of because then you would have, in theory, had a chance to get an elite player. Well, at seven, if you have a chance to get an elite player, whatever position you got to get him because you're in such an early stage of your rebuild that to get that guy on your roster to have him under control for 5 years plus if you're you know thinking that you resign this guy uh that's just that's a win to me so it's one of the quarterbacks or it's those three and now the the problem comes in where what if it's just three quarterbacks that go and then it's those three and then you're at 7 and you don't like the quarterback so that's where you're sort of do we take one of the other receivers you know, hopefully there's a trade down. Is there a defensive player? That that to me is the the conundrum that the Lions could face that that maybe throws a wrench in their, their plans.
1: And that's obviously possible, but that's Statistically unlikely, like something, something will break their way. <laughs> I would think. I mean, who it's knows? The Lions, though, right? I, I mean, know, but no, but that's
0: where your other trade for a quarterback comes in. That maybe somebody wants right. one of those, and, those
1: and, and that and that would be a viable option too. And I'd be fine with that. I mean, everyone always wants to trade down, but like this would be a good year to do it if you have an offer that you know sort of uh, can justify it. I was back and forth backing up. You said you were in favor of taking the pick from Carolina and, and go ahead and yeah. going picking seventh and eighth. I I saw it when you said that, and at first I was like, "Eh, and I like the Rams offer, and then I kept thinking about it, and it's like, man, if I could go into the draft in a couple weeks and come out with, like, Micah Parsons and Panay Sewell or Micah Parsons and Kyle Pitts or Panay Sewell, you know, and Jamar Chase, I mean, just whatever it is, like – Man, you'd be <laughs> you'd be really expediting that rebuild and you get the player a year earlier. You kind of move up this yeah. development. So I kind of like started now that I'm looking at who's out there and who might be available at these picks. Like, I don't know. you may have been on something there, but we'll see. I mean, the one thing I'll say, Bill Simmons was like, oh, you know, everyone shits on the tight end. But look at Gronk. He was always in the playoffs. And look at what Kelsey's doing. Always in the playoffs. Yeah, they also had the two best quarterbacks <laughs> right. of all time, right? I mean, yeah. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. I mean, Brady already is the best ever, and I think Mahomes is tracking. Definitely, be the He's, second best. I'm
0: with you. He's. Yeah, so
1: it's it's not to denigrate them. They're they would be good anywhere, yep. but I, that's like an asterisk that he didn't really throw in there. So, I mean, you you think Kyle Pitts is viable? You hate my Micah Parsons idea because that's actually one of my Plan Bs. Uh, Bruce Feldman from the Athletic, him and, and his, you know, scout connection say that
0: this is like Hall of Famer level linebackers. That's the other guy I like. I haven't heard that about Parsons, um, just from the people that I talk to. So um maybe that's just different guys have different yeah, opinions. No, that's yeah. that's absolutely right. Right. It's it's about who you talk. I mean, I've always said this, right? Like, sure, I watch college or I'll watch some of the the cut-ups online or whatever, but I don't know what I'm watching. I mean, yeah. compared to these guys that are paid to do it for a living, right? So I tend to rely on the scouts that I know and trust. And I just, I haven't heard that from, from the guys that I've talked to about Parsons. They think he's a good prospect. They don't think he's in that elite caliber. And so again, I think when you, when you're picking, you know, you take from that, that top group of guys. And then when that top group is gone, then you go down to the next tier and within that tier, that's where you start ordering it by need or positional value or a whole bunch of those things. And so I just, and that's where maybe some of the, the character concerns or off-field concerns come into play, too. And so uh, to me, again, if you're if you're dropping down to that next tier, I just, as much as a receiver at seven, if it's not Jamar Chase, would, would be a little hard to swallow. Um, you know, a guy like a Jalen Waddell, I think, ranks above a, a guy like Micah Parsons just from the people that I've talked to.
1: Well, and it doesn't help. I mean, they have needs everywhere, but, like, honestly, you and I might have a chance to make the team as the fourth wide receiver right now. Like it's just, I you know, for Perriman, I guess, but like, come on, this wide receiving unit absolutely is
0: just appalling on paper. It's Everybody's so Everybody's still under one year deals. Everyone has injury concerns. It's definitely they need some help there. I
1: right, Look, I'm glad they didn't sign Kenny Galladay to the mega deal that all you guys in the media wanted because I was told. I was a big fan, Meanie. You got to keep your best. <laughs> Justin Rogers, Kyle Meinke, I was a real jerk for saying no. Don't
0: don't hey. back up the bring truck. All right, listen. The other thing with the receiver at seven, and again, I'm I'm lukewarm on the position. Like I I, I do think the game has changed where there's so many good receivers that yes. there's value to be had. But if you want to get if you're rolling with Goff and you want to get a really good evaluation of him and whether he has changed, he needs some people to throw to. Like it's it can't just be T.J. Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. And whatever receivers are Absolutely. available in the game. So I, I could see one of those Alabama receivers at number seventeen.
1: And for the same reason I can't evaluate Jeff Blaschel. The guy's been here coaching the Red Wings for five years, and everyone's like, Oh, you gotta get rid of him. I don't know if he's good or bad. He's had a terrible roster his whole time. I mean, it's like nobody, Scotty Bowman, went with these guys. So it's like, <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, if you're going to sit back and say, okay, we're seriously considering Goff as being a, p- a potential, not we're totally bought in, but we want to evaluate him as a yeah. potential long-term solution, you got to give him more than Brashard Perriman and uh, TJ Hawkinson. I mean, you know, God bless him, but. Come on, that's not gonna get it done. But I agree with you there. Though the thing that I think we deviate on is you seem to think, although it's not your pick, you seem to think quarterback is a very much on the table option. I already outlined why I don't yeah. think that because Brad Holmes has been he's a college scout. That's his background. He that was his his gig in LA. This guy has been watching Justin Fields and Mac Jones and and uh, Trey Lance for a long time. It's uh, He didn't just like start looking at them when the Lions hired him, and the way they're acting. That does not seem like a guy smitten with any of his potential options. I'm
0: just reading the tea leaves. Now, I don't know. So, look, you talk about the tea leaves, and I'm going to sprinkle a couple out there or tell you a couple that I followed why sprinkle. I think it could be, right? Because, because I, I again, I saw that, that video the Lions posted, and the same thing went through my head like, man, they're rolling with golf. But, you know, I think – you're right. Brad Holmes, his, his background is college scouting. And so he would have done that all of the 2019 season, right? In 2019 season, what did people come out of that year saying? Justin Fields was the number two quarterback in the number two prospect, probably in college football after Trevor Lawrence. And Trey Lance was a guy that had the potential to be there with another year of seasoning and Trey Lance lost that year. He's only played 17 games. But when people looked at him and his skill set and they thought he was a good enough prospect to be in that conversation and when they looked at Justin Fields you know before this weird covid year and they thought that he was in that conversation i don't know that those you know if if you are a trained scout and hardened in your beliefs i don't think those should go away and so i think that's part of it and then the other thing that that i can't get past is Brad Holmes was in L.A. Ray Agnew was in L.A. when they drafted Jared Goff. John Dorsey was in Cleveland when they took, when he took Baker Mayfield and he was in KC when, when he took Patrick Mahomes. All of those quarterbacks came in with the idea of sitting, or they did it right away. At least Baker sat for a few games before Tyrod Taylor got hurt. Jared Goff sat for half the season. Obviously Patrick Mahomes sat for a full season. So I think this, everyone who is of power in that front office is comfortable drafting a quarterback to develop him and let him sit, you know, behind whoever the incumbent starter is. So, those are just some of the things that, as I look at the possibility of drafting a quarterback at number seven, why I still think that's in, in play for the Lions. I,
1: all valid points, I still land on the other side. These guys are all sitting in a, in a meeting, and I'm sure Sheila Ford Hamp is there because she's <laughs> apparently invited to everything now and poking her nose in to personnel meetings. No one knows why. No one thinks it makes sense, but she's doing it. I guess it's her right, either here nor there. These guys have their Lions polos on. They got their Fiji water. They got their clipboards, their notepads. No, no Spiro Ave water? They don't have you, should, Spiro. you should
0: send it to them, see what they...
1: I, I would never send them anything. They've already taken too much from me as it is with nothing in return. Look, they've sat and had those meetings. They've had those discussions. You can agree. They've certainly discussed what they're doing with their quarterback situation. No so all those guys are privy to these conversations. And if you watch the tape, Jared Goff goes down the hallway, and this guy was greeted uh, like he was Muhammad Ali at a signing at Field of Dreams in Las Vegas. I mean, it, it was like it, it was like a god coming down the hallway. Oh, how am I? Are you kidding me? You're here. Of course I've had the best day of my life. Those were all guys that have been in these meetings. So if they're sitting there saying, okay, like, like Goff will hold it down, but you know, Fields, man. Have you, have you seen the tape on Fields in that one game in the semifinal? They wouldn't do it. People are human beings. They're not going to have that reaction. I don't know what the F I'm talking about, but that is what I'm taking from it. And I could be wrong, but I will be shocked. Not surprised. Not mildly amused. Shocked. If they
0: take a quarterback at seven.
1: Absolutely shocked. You seem to think it's what, 30 percent? I mean, is that fair?
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's probably a, a fair number. I mean, that's really what you know. I need to try to pin down over the next couple of weeks, and that's a hard one to pin down. But I, I will say this too: that I think that decision in Brad Holmes's mind has already been made, at least. And now I don't know if he's conveyed it to the rest of his staff, right? The the, the smart GMs, I just don't think they talk about that that early, right? They want to hear everybody else's opinion, and they don't want their opinion to cloud what other people are thinking. And then you know, draft week maybe you let a couple people in on on your your line of thinking and so if Brad Holmes is is making this pick um i don't know that it matters you know what Anthony Lynn says when he sees him in the hallway
1: well all will be answered in a couple of weeks i can't wait to read your coverage on this i think you've been right up there with uh, the best writers in this area covering your beat. I mean, I, you've been so on the ball. I've loved your appearances on uh, Valenti's show recently. The last couple of months have been great. You've done an awesome job. We usually agree, but there's some points <laughs> where we deviate. I've been very firm on this. Like the Detroit Lions beat is just so well covered. Love Kyle, love Justin, love you. So I appreciate you coming in. Now we're done with the Lions for the most part. We're going to dip our toe in a little bit. But we do our speed round, similar to word association, but you can say more than one word. Give me, I don't know, one to five sentences on these things. Let's start the speed round. All right, here we go. I I I love the speed round. And Ben, get us going. This is something I'm really excited. I'm gonna be sending this one to Justin and Kyle (laughs) the second the show's over. Which Detroit Lions beat writer wins in a triple threat match. I don't know if you're a WWF, WWE I'm not guy. A WWE
0: What's a triple threat? Triple
1: match? threat right. match means you're in a three, you in a ring together, you're all fighting each other, there's no teammates, but only one guy can win. You gotta beat the other two guys. Who wins in a like just a fight? Oh me.
0: I mean, look—you're the, you're the toughest guy. Kyle's got a broken leg still, right? I mean, he can barely walk on it. I think, right? Justin's probably cooking something in the corner, so it's me. You, I, you're no betting doubt. on yourself. Oh, come on, easily. That's going you right. Send that right to him too. I Kyle. mean,
1: oh, believe me, I told you up front. I'm going to send that to him. So they're they're going to maybe have some issues with that. I don't know. Kyle has that kind of like small but wiry thing going on too. He looks like he's got a little edge to him. Might fight dirty.
0: I don't know. I got the old man strength. You so got the old man yeah, strength. You know, it's uh, <laughs> so I don't know if Justin Rogers. Has I think I'm in kids. the best best shape. Too. Yeah, Justin's got a couple
1: kids. Yeah, he's got a couple yeah. kids. Kyle's single, I think. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, I don't. I think the kids thing kind of toughens you up a little bit, too. Like, you're, you know, you're kind of used to dealing with some nonsense. So, I don't know. I, I think it'd be an interesting fight. One day maybe we'll see it because you guys do have a good little rivalry going. <laughs> so, back to the NFL. Your favorite NFL stadium, the best NFL
0: stadium you travel all over. Ooh. What's the best one? Man, the only stadium I have not been to is Kansas City. I've been covering the league for a long time. And the Lions obviously went to London last time, so I missed that one. Um, you know what, uh, Lions fans may not like this, but you know, Green Bay is, is historic. I mean, that's a, that's a great one just to take in a game at, um, you know, outside of that, like the, the cities it, for me, it's more about the cities because, you know, if you got friends there from high school, you get to see them. That's more the experience for me than the stadium. Um,
1: in which case, Lambo would not be the answer because yeah, Lam- I went there once, <laughs> and it's like I, I was like looking at price line for the nicest hotels in the area, and it was like Motel Six or something. I was like, oh my Staying god,
0: thirty miles away. And oh my three hundred a night. It was uh, bad, but the stadium is great. Hey, I'll tell you what though, Atlanta has uh, Vikings have a really nice stadium, nice new stadium. Um, Atlanta Stadium was pretty good. Looking forward to seeing LA's this year when when Stafford and Goff go ahead. The there.
1: LA one looks cool. I, I'm bitter about the Minnesota one because Michigan State lost to Texas Tech in the Final Four, and we're not over that in the studio. It's but anyway, awesome
0: looking out. So, yeah, yeah, it's, nice
1: it, it's pretty neat, no question. So let's flip it around. Worst NFL stadium. Your oh, least man. favorite. The I'll press box what, sucks. The field sucks. Everything sucks.
0: Jacksonville and Miami. I haven't been to Miami since they redid it, uh, but those two. I mean, Miami used to be, you know. Uh, that was just the whole um, Jacksonville. Not this past year, the time before we went there, and I don't think they had fixed it. It was raining. It was leaking from the roof. This is not speedrun. I'm sorry. I'm going long. No, you can go. I was sitting right next to this leak that was pouring down from the roof, like, like the seat next to me. I'm like getting rained on in the press box, an enclosed press box. So in the NFL, like, yeah, on. it's it's Jacksonville is clearly number one, and I haven't been to Miami since the upgrade, so I'll give them a, a little bit of a pass I
1: but. mean their owners is con is, that guy seems like he's like gonna be a big spender you would think he would uh yeah get the place a little Trevor spiffy. Lawrence
0: now too let's yeah. upgrade right and urban
1: like yeah. you can't you can't have Trevor Lawrence in this dump I mean this is like the you yeah. know the mud dogs and Waterboy. I can't do that yeah. anyway so the, we're done with that biggest jerk you have covered. Just, you know, it could be a visitor, but, you know, I'm guessing it'll probably be somebody on the lines that just was rude to the media, I had no time for you guys. Um,
0: you know, it, there is no one that comes to mind. I mean, the story that comes to mind, and I, I wouldn't put him in the jerk category, because obviously he had some other things going on, was, was Titus Young when he was going through his issues. And, yeah. Um, you know, just, you know, I guess some of the the things that he did, um, you know, to reporters, you know, he called me the devil one time and, uh, but again, he had some, some uh, know, was, mental issues that were going on. Yeah. This was not a, this was not in the locker room. It was just, it was, a. I, I can't even like tell the full story right now. I mean, it was, I, I'll tell the story. Okay. Yeah, go what happened. Um, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It was just, um, after the season, Martin Mayhew has his end of season press conference. And, um, again, sorry, not speed round, but you know, I don't know, it's in, in, in the afternoon one day, four o'clock or something like that, right? I show up to the, the facility at noon. I had some work to do or something early. I was there like four hours early. There was somebody that was, you know, ringing the door to get in. This was when Titus had basically been suspended at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, there's a little call box there. And so he's ringing the door and he was there with his mom and dad. Walk up, you know, he had a hat on, he had these like Coke bottle glasses on, didn't look like Titus Young. So I walk up and I was, you know, said something to him. And I was like, oh, Titus, it's you, you know, like, how you doing or whatever? And and I was like, Are you Titus's, you know, dad, mom? He's like, Yeah. And Titus's dad said, Yeah, you know, are you have you been writing some of those things about my my son? And I said, Well, yeah. I mean, if you've read some of the things, I've I've certainly been writing them, you know. So, but you know, Dave Briquette, Free Press introduced myself and uh security came and let let everyone in. And I was like, Well, Titus, you know, can I ask you some questions? I forget, you know, what I tried to ask him, but you know, security tried to intervene and Um, outside Titus was like, you know, he sort of like made the sign of the cross and like, you know, said some some prayer or something, you know, Jesus, I don't know exactly what he said, right. He was sort of mumbling. So anyways, you know, he gets whisked away and I go back to the media room and, and Anwar Richardson was covering the beat at the time. And I said something to Anwar about it. And he was like, man, he was like, he was calling you the devil. Like I'm just telling you like, you know, what he was doing with the sign of the cross and whatever. And I was like, whoa, like, and again, this was not that he was a jerk. It was just, he had some mental issues that were going on. So that's, that's the the story that comes to my mind. I would not put him in the jerk category because there's a lot more going on to it. But, um, that was the first thing that comes to my mind.
1: That's interesting. I mean, his, his whole story is just a bummer. Like, it's just the guy, you know, you always say like, where does the line go from like, this guy's a bad person, asshole, whatever, to like, you're a mentally ill person. And I think he definitely is comfortably over that line into the mentally ill category. You know, I, I'm not qualified, but I mean, come sure. on, the, the guy got arrested three times in like four days and was, you know, saying that he was hearing things from angels. And I mean, he was sort of way out there, Ben, do me a favor. Call. Ashawn Robinson and congratulate him that he didn't go three for three is the answer to this question. Because <laughs> Kyle, Kyle and Justin, the other two uh, beat writers, your colleagues, were like, oh yeah, Ashawn Robinson, of course, guy, the guy sucks. is like,
0: no hesitation at all. This is the deal. This is with me, right? Like, I take nothing personal when it comes to any of this stuff. Like, it's just, it's, it's par for the course, man. Some people don't want to deal with the media. Some people are cool with it. Some people love it. You know, some people. Um, In fact, with Ashawn, like I asked him, you know, he didn't want to do much with the media and I asked him and I said, you know, is there something that we did? Is there something that happened somewhere along the line? Like maybe, maybe there's a story that, that these people have or something they experienced as to why they, you know, they don't feel comfortable talking to reporters. And so uh, certainly there are people that have been easier to deal with than others and and a lot of people easier to deal with than than Ashawn. But, you know, I just, that's why I say I don't really have like a, a bad guy. There are a lot of guys that that I enjoyed dealing with, um, but, you well, know. Well,
1: let's get to that. It's yeah. the
0: yang to the yin that we just did. Nicest guy you've ever
1: covered. I know you don't want to say anything bad about anybody. Maybe you'll give us a hard answer now. Who's just a great
0: guy? Loved him. Uh, Nate Burleson was fantastic. Um, I don't know if if we're going three for three there. Uh, you know, he was, he was a really good guy to cover. Um, you know, I, I'll say this. The Lions have had pretty good locker rooms, like, even though like a Matthew Stafford wasn't very visible in the media. Like he was, he was a nice enough dude that if you went up to the locker, you know, he's sitting at his locker and you wanted to BS with him about Georgia football or something like that. Like he was comfortable doing something like that. And I think most people in the locker room have been like that. So um, Nate was sort of, you know, he went above and beyond. He was one of a kind. So I would, I would put him as, you know, one of my, my favorite interviews.
1: He seemed to be one of those guys that like everybody around him knew that he was going to be good in media someday when he was Absolutely. done. And he's certainly gotten there. So, And he's on the come, too. I yeah. mean, he's continuing to get better. and he'll, you know, He's a good one. A good answer. I don't remember who they said, but it wasn't Nate Burleson. Okay, very quick. Firing Jim Caldwell. This is going back in time a little bit. So we don't need the whole uh, sort of bird's eye view, but just in a couple sentences. I think there's a revisionist history going on with Jim Caldwell. He was great. They should have never gotten rid of him just not the benefit of the uh, hindsight thing with Patricia, whatever, just what we knew at the time. Was it the right move to fire Jim Caldwell? I still say yes.
0: Yeah, I think it was um, sort of the same thing, right? I I think they had uh, – it's clear everyone in the locker room loved Jim Caldwell, and I think that's part of it. But I do think um, in order to have the success that you want to as an organization, it has to be a little bit more than that. And I think we saw – if I remember right, late in that year they lost to Cincinnati – Maybe they got stomped at Baltimore, if I remember right. Um, So I just, I don't, I think there were some, some bad performances when they needed to have good performances. And, um, you know, again, this is not revisionist at all. When they hired Matt Patricia, that was like the best hire in the NFL. I mean, he was like a coveted coach and he went to the Super Bowl. And, you know, so in, in the other part of it too, and look, general managers, need their own guys right you can't come in and force a gm to keep a head coach I, you know i wrote this back in the, the the fall too right the biggest mistake the lions made was when they fired martin mayhew and tom lawan midseason. and not because they fired him just because of the 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 dominoes it started like midseason they're one and seven they fire those guys right and you could make a case but you know they're coming off a playoff appearance in 2014 and they lost in Dominican Sue and they start the season terribly and then they fire these two and then you know they hire Bob Quinn a week into the offseason so he wanted to hire Matt Patricia from the get-go but he couldn't because they had already missed the opportunity to interview him so he's basically forced to keep Jim Caldwell. Year two or you know year one I guess of Bob Quinn they make the playoffs you're not going to fire a coach after you make the playoffs in most cases and again if you really want Matt Patricia well, you can't interview them because you missed the window of opportunity because they made the playoffs and that's the only week you can hire them. So Bob Quinn is. He was saddled. I don't want to say that like negative you know, pejoratively towards Jim Caldwell, but from his point of view in the front office, he was—he had a coach that he didn't want to keep. And that was the first two years of his regime. And so Had they waited to make that decision after the season, maybe they wouldn't have because they go seven and nine or maybe they would have cleaned house, you know, completely. So I just think the domino from, you know, firing the GM, keeping the coach, then you keep the, you know, the coach another year and then the GM finally gets his guy and it just that whole chain of events was wrong. So I do think it was right to fire Jim Caldwell from where the organization was at the time and that's saying nothing about Jim Caldwell as a coach or what he was for the Lions because players loved him. It just wasn't the right mix with him and Bob Quinn at, atop the organization.
1: Let, now let's veer this train on the speed round off the tracks and we'll, let's just plow it right into the cement. We're one
0: like one. going slow around here right. too. So. Well, this always happens.
1: <laughs> the Justin Rogers speed round went like an hour. I mean, Ben, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. I mean, it was the longest speed round ever. It was longer than the show. But... <laughs> Neither here nor there. I just have to back up because you said accurately, in my opinion, GM has to pick the coach. Did I not argue that back this guys, is the arranged no, I marriage? You. I mean, so you're saying, oh, this is a big mistake they made. Yeah. Did they not just make this mistake again like two months ago? Because it sure seems like it. Dan Campbell was the guy.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a mistake. Or the coach has to pick the GM, whoever you're giving the power to. and Which should be fine. Someone you right. know, in the hierarchy, Belichick has it in New England. And, or Mike Disner or Chris Spielman. Or, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's Chris Spielman picking the coach and the GM. I don't know. I'm um, just
1: saying, you said, oh, yeah. they made a big mistake, but you like what they're doing now. There's, there's a little bit of a disconnect no, no, there. That's a, that's a
0: fair point that you make, because I do like both the people that they have in in place, But I also could see, you know, two or three years down the road where that causes friction or problems because look, inevitably, I mean, you can be the best people in the world, right? And there's going to be some sort of power struggle grab at some point in time, unless things are just going rosy. And so that's the, the, the fear that I have in my head, right? That you know, three years from now, they draft a quarterback and he doesn't work out. And well, who's who wanted that pick? Right. You're finger pointing at each other. And so that really is what could derail a rebuild like this. Now, again, I think for where we're at right now, I like the people. I like what they did. I think they have a real chance to be successful. And the other part of that is because where the NFC North is or will be after this season, you know, like Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is probably done in a year or two. No other team in this division has a quarterback. So if the Lions nail that quarterback and they have the right people, maybe they finally are a team that, you know, can have some success in the NFC North again, going way off the tracks here. But so I like what they've done in that regard. But I don't think it's wrong to forecast ahead and, you know, have some concerns about. Or, or identify, you know, some of the curves that, you know, the, the regime might face.
1: Oh, and nobody has ever gone broke betting against something the Lions doing, working out well. I mean, that's the ultimate skepticism. And I know everybody says, you know, Scott Anderson at 97.1, you can't blame she, uh, you know, and he was saying the same thing 10 years ago. You can't blame Martha Ford for her husband. She's different. It's like at some point the onus is on them to actually do something different. Like, I, look, I'm 34, man. I've been cheering for this team since I was four years old. I got 30 years with nothing in return. At some point, it's it's not on me to continue to just put faith in you. You have to actually show me something. And I haven't seen that. And I ain't that young. I mean, it's not like I'm 12. Like, I'm old enough that any decent franchise worth, not even its salt, but like a, a granule, a decimal point worth of salt would have something to show for that long of a time frame. Three decades? I haven't seen him win a playoff game. The last time they won a playoff game, I was still shitting my pants. So, hey, look, it's so I'm tired of like this. You, you got, you know, oh, you can't blame the current coach for the previous coach. I don't. But at the end of the day, if I'm giving my opinion on the team, okay, microphone's on. We're talking about the Lions. What do I think is going to happen this year? It's not going to be positive, and I'm just going to default to that until I have a reason to think otherwise. So let's get it back on the tracks. <laughs> and we're actually done with football. We're going to finish on a, you know higher note, you're drinking water now, but I'm curious when Dave Burkett is young and he's not taking care of his kids, he goes to the bar to drink off whatever argument he just had with Justin Rogers. <laughs> What's Dave Burkett's drink order at the bar?
0: I am not a drinker. I, I'm, no, a, I'm okay. a water drinker. Well,
1: it doesn't have to be alcohol. What are you drinking? Uh, to?
0: No, I'm drinking just, water. This is what I water. drink. I'm telling you, like,
1: no, my Pepsi. body
0: is a temple. That's why I'm winning that fight with Kyle and, I and that's Justin. a good answer. I, I, I am drinking water or Gatorade if I'm playing basketball or something. I mean, that's like Maybe some orange juice in the morning, a fruit smoothie. But that's all I drink. I don't drink pop. I don't drink coffee. I just drink water.
1: Yeah, we have a full bar here just outside the studio. <laughs> and we've had, I think this is show 27 or something. All right, we've had, you know, 27 guests or 25 guests, whatever it is. And you think you're like the second not to take a beverage. So <laughs> you're, right, you're, yeah. you're in a, you are training for that fight. I, Rogers was like half in the bag. I almost <laughs> had to call him an Uber. But uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he did have a couple. But uh, no, it's no problem. Water, yeah, you're getting ready for that fight. So yeah. well, if that's a wrap for the speed round. It's a wrap for us. I think I kept you right around an hour, which I promised I would do. Dave did warn me in advance, like, look, I really don't like you that much. <laughs> I, I waited an entire Olympic cycle to even show up. And I, like, I'm an old man. It's a Saturday night to so get me out of here quick. So this is not the Andy Isaac two and a half hour, Mike Stone two and a half hour episode. This is like the sitcom version of the Spring <laughs> Avenue show. So uh you're out of here, man. You were great today. Uh loved having you. I I we'll guess do it again in
0: three years. I, no. sh-
1: do you want to plan for three years now? Should I start pestering you now? I would think it
0: like, is a quicker Olympic cycle, right? This yeah, year that's and right. next. So I don't know. We'll that's, see. That's we'll, a good we'll argument for
1: here. an earlier <laughs> return. You really, look, I'm a proud guy. I, I have a lot of pride. And it all went out the window. I mean, I was I was sending you the temptations, I Ain't Too Proud, the bed song, a beg song, like just just begging you. I was on my knees dying for you to grant me this appearance. And I don't know what I did. I know I've said a lot of mean things over the years. I don't know which one it was. It's like you going up to guys saying, hey, did I say something? Hey, a to the piss you off. Why are you like this? That's right, you I guys. was going to go up to you. <laughs> I was at the point where it's like, what did I do? I always say nice things about you, Dave. But, you know, you came and... Uh, Even though it was a long, long wait, it was worth it. When my wife made me wait, it was worth it tonight, man. You were fantastic.
0: I'll have you be here. We'll uh, we'll 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 talk about it. Maybe three years is, is too long. I don't know. We'll see well, Hey, if you can move the studio closer to my house, then then we'll do it. Again. I'll send you so, a car.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll give you the, the Tony Paul but he demands a black car. <laughs> he has like a rider. The guy that tell you it's like booking Madonna at Pine Knob to get this guy to show up. But he, he comes. You just have to meet his terms. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Justin Rogers demands top shelf whiskey. So everybody has their terms. You know, your term was just get me out of here at a decent hour. So like 1019, that's actually pretty, uh, pretty good for us. So thank you to Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the wall, who does 99.72% of the work for us. I just kind of talk and yell at people. So thank you to Ben. Fantastic job as always. Eric Williamson, our graphic design guy, sitting on the couch in his boxers watching this live, I'm sure. And Dylan Smith, our social media guy, doing a bang-up job. I don't have to tell you where to find Dave Burkett. The guy's got 75,000 more followers than I have. (laughs) But, you know, he is at Dave Burkett at the Freep. If you're the three people that don't follow him in the state of Michigan, Dave, you're awesome. You're welcome back anytime. Got it. We'll do it again. I, I'm going to point my finger at you with the NFL draft. They're not taking a quarterback. No chance. No way. Hopefully, they take Kyle Pitts. Can't believe I, I'm saying this. So that's it. Spiro Avenue Show. We'll be back in a few days. we got a lot coming down because we always do. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.